Hi, everyone, and welcome to This is Leadership, a podcast dedicated to bringing you insightful conversations with leaders that inspire us to be better and to go further. I'm your host, Joël McLean, and I am very excited to have you here with us today. Now, let's get to today's episode and get our leadership on. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This is Leadership, your intersection between growth and leadership. And today, I've got uh, I've got a, a fantastic surprise for everyone, I, somebody that I met just recently uh, on social media. So listen, I'd like to welcome to the show TJ Hoogstein, who has worked in public education since 2008. He has spent his entire career working in rural schools in Saskatchewan in Canada. So over the last 15 years, he has accumulated 11 years of school leadership experience as a vice principal and principal, as well as being a classroom teacher, literacy interventionist, and coach. Passionate about personal development, TG has completed his doctorate from the University of Western Ontario in 2018. That's awesome. Congratulations. And since then, while he has published several articles in peer-reviewed journals and has taught at the master's level for Royal Roads University, can't wait to get into it, TJ Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, um, my first time being on a podcast, and uh, <laughs> something I think I listen to a lot of podcasts, so yeah. I think it's something I've always wanted to do. So that's awesome, and you know, maybe it'll inspire you to even start your own podcast. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, you know, you have have that opportunity to be able to meet people. Uh, you know, we were talking a little bit before the uh, before before the recording how it's so interesting that you know part of the reason why we do the podcast is that you know we want to we want to expand that reach right that we have you know we're both leaders and we're looking to always influence in a positive way you know people just people in general uh, mm-hmm. in their growth and their quest to being a better version of themselves and in particular in the leadership and we are in leadership positions so you know mm-hmm. if anybody can get to hear you know some of what we we have to say in our conversation they can benefit from that well that's a great you know, it's a great form to do it through, through the podcast. So to be able to reach yes. people all over, like, you know, you're in Saskatchewan, I'm in Ontario, both in Canada, you know, so it just, it just really expands that reach and, and it allows people to be able to d- just discover great, you know, some great administrators and great leaders like yourself, TJ. And if they can take away something from the episodes, that's the the, the reason why we do it. Right. So yeah. it's great yeah. to have you here. And, um, so like I was saying, we we're talking about snow, of course, we're in Canada, right? So people that aren't in Canada, you know, all about Canada, there's not snow everywhere all the time. But TJ, at, you know, at your end, you were saying you already had quite a bit of snow uh, so far with some with some cold winds. And yeah. uh, here in Ontario, I was like teasing you a little bit saying we got a little dusting, you know, just little white spots here and there. So, so listen, TJ, I read a little bit of your, uh, your, um, your biography, but really interested. Uh, and I think it'd be great for you to talk to us a little bit about like where you're from, because you are actually from Ontario. So I thought yeah. that was really interesting when we first spoke. So I'll let you talk a little bit about yourself and your journey. How is it that you, you know, you started off in Ontario and you ended up in, you know, the education system in Saskatchewan. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I, um, born and raised in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. Um, I was kind of, um, time I was went went off university, I'd kind of been gone and back. I did my an undergraduate degree in in Michigan. Actually, I played some oh. uh, college baseball at a Division okay. three school and in in, cool. uh, in a little school called Olivet College, which is just south of Lansing, Michigan. And um, 
afterwards I went back my my first degree was in criminal justice and I I um, kind of wanted to get into maybe you know probation or something like that and yeah, yeah. Um, when I came when I went back to to Sault Ste. Marie I ended up working in a youth correctional facility for okay. about a year and a half and I really liked it but I thought you know as my as I got older I don't think it would have been something I wanted to continue to do. Okay. And so they had a teacher right in the school and, or right at, right in the facility. And I thought maybe, you know, that's what I would do. And so I went back, ended up going back to school, but I ended up in New Brunswick. Getting okay. my teacher in New Brunswick. Okay. And so I went to the university of New Brunswick and got, got my, my bachelor's degree in elementary education was my, and, uh, and middle years mm-hmm. and finished in 2007 and when I came back to Ontario, I couldn't, um, I only had an interim certificate. That's right. And because they, at the time I wasn't, wasn't recognized as, as a, um, there was no interprovincial agreement there. That's right. And so um, there actually is now my certificate, my, my uh, certificate is actually good now. Um, or I have a full um, Ontario certificate when uh, now, but um um, so I came, I went back and, and I ended up working in a, in a young offenders facility again and okay. for about a year and I couldn't find a job. And I had uh, applied out, um, in Saskatchewan, there was a, there was a job for, um, in a school division called Northern Light School Division mm-hmm. and, um, serve, serves the whole North and only interview I got. And, uh, I ended up teaching grade two, the, that, that 2008, I ended up teaching grade two in Laloche. And so I spent a couple of years there, um, which was, you know, good, good experience. And then from 2010, um, I ended up just, um, I had applied to, you know, two years of experience. I ended up applying to a, a little town um, called Cutknife. You know, you're saying you're from Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which is just, you know, three to three and a half hours north of where I grew up, you know, born and raised in Elliott Lake on Ontario. And I was just saying that it just brought back a lot of good memories when we first met a few weeks ago when you said you were from the Sioux because we used to have some some wicked good, you know, hockey rivalries between the Sioux and Elliott Lake and especially in Midget, mm-hmm. you know, Pee Wee Bantam Midget, uh, it's not called that anymore, but we used to call it back then. Uh, at those levels and I just, you know, nothing but good memories of going up in the bus and, you know, always storming Sault Ste. Marie. That's another place with a lot of snow, let me tell you, but uh, yeah. some great memories. So yeah, it, it's funny though. So going back and forth between our provinces. And I remember back then, TJ, you know, you were talking about 2008, 2007, six, you know, there weren't, there weren't as many positions available either, you know, like compared to today where I don't know if it's like that in Saskatchewan, but here in Ontario, we're, we're just having a hard time filling up positions. You know, we can't find teachers. We've got, uh, board level, you know, instructional leaders, teacher leaders that have to go back into the classroom because we don't have people. So, uh, you know, really different back then. But so anyhow, you were uh, just to get back to your story. So now you were headed to a little town called Cutknife, right? Yeah, I, I took a, a vice principal job in okay. Cutknife, um, just at a, at a small um, K to six school, eventually yeah. it became a pre K to six school. And now the school is actually in, in a small town like that, in most Saskatchewan, um, 
there's usually only one school and usually it'll be a K to 12 school. Yeah, yeah. But we had, at the time we had two schools. Okay. And so now both schools are, are put together. And, but um, yeah, I took a vice principal job. I was there for about nine years. And uh, um, from there, um, when the two schools went together, yeah. I, I um, took a, a position in Battleford, which is about half hour away from cut knife and i was there for a couple years okay and i was there till 20 well just until 2021 and then last year i um i took a position as principal awesome in in a small town north of prince albert saskatchewan called uh wayaquin okay and my my school here is um kindergarten to grade nine and And now it's, um, it started out last year, or it's always been a K to nine school. And, but this year we, we've been able to bring in grade tens. So oh, that's awesome. You're growing, right? You're expanding and those grade nines are going on to grade 10 and you just keep feeding it, feeding in the back end there and your school is yes. growing. So that's great, you know, great news for the school and the community. And so TJ, I'm just curious to know, uh, you know, you, you were teaching and, uh, and then this vice principal position came up. So you know, what is it that made you want to go into that position, you know, as a VP uh, compared, you know, because I think you said you had been in, in the classroom for a, f- a few years, uh, yeah. but then you, you know, you made the jump. So, what, you know, what is it that made you want to take that jump? Well, my, my mother-in-law was, uh, was the principal at the school in the wash. Okay. And so that kind of, you know, kind of gave me the idea but it was actually, it was funny. Um, there was a guy who had less experience than me. Okay. I think it was his first year in Lalosh, and he took a principal job just like in a small school, yeah. um, something like what I'm at now. And probably, I think it was even smaller and he, he took a job. He, he was given a, or he was hired to be a principal with one year experience. And I was, cause I would have never thought yeah, yeah. that I was qualified at that point. And, um, um my son was about to be born and um we were looking at houses and and things like that and we ended up buying a house in cut knife okay um and then this job came up in cut knife this this vice principal's job and as i would have never thought i was qualified until i talked to this other teacher and i gave it a shot and i ended up with the job and it was just kind of the rest was history. And I, I don't think I ever thought about going into um, admin or a leadership position at the mm. time. Mm. And when I first got it, I was not ready. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was out of my element right away. But it, it, um, it was something that I quickly um, came, to, came to love doing. So. Absolutely. Often when these opportunities do present themselves, it's always... It's it's like the saying goes when opportunity comes knocking, it's too late to get ready, right? So, but yeah. sometimes you know those opportunities, we might say we're not ready in terms of knowing what the job entails. And I think that when you come into new, like like myself back in two thousand six, when I transitioned from being a you know a science and chemistry teacher to a, a the principal of a a grade seven and eight school with about two hundred students you bring in the the competencies that you do have in your strengths and your styles. And I think that if, if you're made for leadership, you already have some of those qualities that you've developed throughout the years with teaching and, and mm-hmm. building relationships. But you know, a lot of the stuff 
like I did, it's trial by fire, right? You learn as you do, and you just mm -hmm. hope that to surround yourself with the right people and to connect with the right people to be able to to coach us and to guide us a little bit. But definitely not an easy transition. Um, you know, maybe being in a smaller community for yourself, it might have been uh, a little different than if you were in a school that had three hundred students. Students, but the job is still the job, right? So I, I've mm -hmm. all because I've been principal in schools where they were where there were, uh, you know, maybe 80 students all the way up to, you know, a school that had almost 300. So, uh, you know, a lot of the elements of the job are are the same. They are the same. It's just, it's the interruptions, the amount of interruptions that that defer, right? So so there you were in a, in a VP position and in the leadership and, and, and getting to develop your leadership. But, you know, I also noticed talking to you and in, and in your bio, of course, you went and got your doctorate at the University of Western. So obviously, you know, you had this... Um, this uh, motivation to better yourself and, and to keep mm -hmm. learning. Um, when we talked a few weeks ago, you had mentioned some of the work that you did around, you know, a framework uh, in, uh, in terms of leadership in rural schools. So I thought that was really, really interesting. And that's one of the, one of the things I wanted to touch on with you so that, you know, people can, you know, just learn a little bit about what you did and, you know, maybe that they'd be able to apply that to where they are, you know, presently in their schools as well. So why don't you tell us a little bit, a little bit about that, TJ? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of time, you know, the, the common framework, right, around leadership practice itself is, you know, a lot of around like instructional leadership where we're, we're talking about developing people, we're talking about setting goals and vision and uh, monitoring instructional program, all of those things. Like yeah. that's, the the common idea around um leadership and, and what what good leaders do and i don't think that's changed a whole lot i i don't it doesn't matter if you you know you go back to the 19, 1982 mm. the, the first uh the first instructional management articles that came out um they were very very similar it hasn't changed a whole lot and um and I think it still holds true. And, and I think, you know, over the course of the pandemic, everybody started thinking, wow, leadership's changed, leadership's changed, leadership hasn't really changed. What the way you apply those things, I think, really has. But I wanted to look at it through a different way. And so I looked at it um, really through a framework that came out of Australia. And it was a small and rural regional school framework that was built out of Australia. And it came from uh, the work of like, it was Scott Ecott and uh, um, Amanda Heffernan, Tony Laughlin that uh, put this together through um, just through some, some research that they had done. And I, I always find Australia has a, has a really good background in that rural and regional school because yeah. the way that they are spread out the same that's way right. Canada is. Yeah, that's and right. yeah. they also have a good background in indigenous knowledge or indigenous teaching and leadership and things that's because that's correct, they've been yeah. on that same path too, right? And mm -hmm. the decolonizing and trying to include um, um, those indigenous voices in their school. So this is so that's where I, I looked at them, and they really came. The framework that they came up with um, really fits into that still that instructional leadership um, framework, but just a, a couple of different things. And one of the big, they had really four areas and they called it innovation imperative, uh, being visible and committed to the community, promoting collective responsibility, and then focusing on teaching and learning. Okay. And so really what I was thinking in, in, in a post pandemic or even, you know, current pandemic, 
we haven't really we haven't exited yet that <laughs> these things are still um or that this was the way especially in a, in a rural school was the way to um was the way that i wanted to look at leadership i wanted to view it through that lens and 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 do those things so i think that's really interesting you know it's like we we've got these you know, these concepts in leadership, like you said, like it hasn't changed, you know, in a long time, because some of those are the, are the basic concepts of it. And I think it's really interesting what, how you said it, right. It's the way that we apply it. And I think that's one of the, you know, one of the telltales of a good leader is, is to take, you know, what are those, those basic common knowledge pieces on what a leader does and to be able to apply it in, in those different situations, you know, and in your case, which, you know, is very similar to Australia, like you were saying, you're, you're in a rural setting, and I imagine you've got a, a big indigenous community as well that's surrounded. And it's the same thing here in Ontario. We, we talk a lot about uh, indigenous education and reconciliation and indigenous voices, you know, into our teachings and, you know, everything that we do pretty much well in the schools. So uh, to be able to know how to apply in different settings, some of those, uh, you know, some of those, those basic leadership traits uh, is something that's really important. So I think it's, mm -hmm. it's really great that you were looking at, you know, how can you actually take that uh, framework and be able to apply it because you've seen a need in your community, right, in your school, and you were looking at different ways that you can actually apply your leadership in terms of adapting it based on this framework that was well-researched and lives, you know, out in Australia. Yeah, and like one of the things was, too, was like I was a, I was in a first-year principal in, an, like in a small community after a principal leaving who'd been there for over 20 years. Wow. And had been such a big part of the community, right? Yeah, and absolutely. And the, the school itself was uh, a centerpiece of the community. And so looking at ways to try and, and I guess, raise the status of the school again or, yep. or bring that yep. the school back to the after the pandemic because things got, um, the, the when when the school was shut down, that was, it was, I, I'm sure it was devastating for the community. Yeah. And then to lose their their principal at the same time it was uh it was it was a hard hit for sure yeah. yeah and especially in rural right so in rural communities you know that's where we had and and it's like everybody else i think uh, you know that went through the pandemic it's that's where we had you know the biggest challenges with our families that you know didn't have that in internet access or you know or, or easily access to internet and the ones that were that were a little ways from the school so you know it wasn't easy to try to find solutions to be able to mm -hmm. to help those students and then you know on top of that uh, you get a, a, a principal of the school that been, had been there for 20 plus years you know contributing to the education of the kids the growth of the staff you know the community for him to leave is is also is also a you know a, a big blow as well so but you know where there's where there's a loss i find there's always an opportunity maybe for growth and an opportunity for for renewing so and you know you you took you took uh, you took that step and you 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 got into the position and uh, you know you did what you had to do to be able to keep building you know what what had already you know been started and with the good with the good foundation that was put in and mm -hmm. to just keep building that legacy right so now it's your opportunity to be able to put in you know your style and to put in you know mm -hmm. your legacy tad your legacy and the and the ones of the staff and the kids that you're with and your families that you're going to that you're with now and that you're going to be with in the future and to just keep building that you know that beautiful school in the community yeah absolutely and i and i think um you know one of the things um one of the aspects of, of that framework is is they like that innovation of 
imperative. And in a small school or in a small school, in a small community, um, innovation, I think, can take on a different, really take on that different meaning. Um, Because I I think um, we always say the most dangerous phrase in the English language is this is the way we've always done it. That's right. Yeah. But in a small community in Northern Saskatchewan, in an indigenous community, the way you do things matters. That's right. And um, the way things have been done for years matters. And when you have health restrictions or you have to change those things, trying to find ways to do the things that you've always done are, or the things that are important to the to the community and important to the school, that's the real innovation. It didn't have to be something to do with technology or anything like that. It, it was finding ways um, to make sure that the the cultural element to the school stayed um, stayed strong. And so, um, for us, that meant doing a lot of um, outdoor outdoor ed. We we mm. did a lot of land based learning, and that's. Um, and so we, you know, included our, um, our community in, in planning those things. So we did. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. So, and, and that's what it is, right? So, and especially when, when thinking about and talking about, uh, indigenous communities, you're absolutely right. You know, in, in the position, in the position that I am now, this is second year where I'm in a systemic, uh, principles position, uh, mm-hmm. director's position. And, you know, one of the, uh, one of the uh, the files or the dossiers that I that I work in now is actually in, in dig, uh, indigenous uh, education, so and, and I'm learning so many things. And you know, when you talked about you know the way that things are done, the way that things are said, and and tradition, you're absolutely right. These things are very important, you know, for our indigenous communities, and it's important for us as well because there's a lot of meaning attached to that. There's a lot of feelings. There's a lot of history attached to those things. So. You know, and I can just imagine, you know, pandemic hits, right? And so all of a sudden, you got to start doing things that are different. We're getting, you know, these mandates from from the governments of of having to wear masks and whatnot. And you know, some of these things could actually end up going against, you know, some of those beliefs of of some of our different cultures, be it indigenous or not, right? So. Um, and these are all things that we need to consider and that we had to consider as, as school leaders, right? And it was the same thing for you as well. So to really try to, I guess the big challenge for us, right, for, for schools was, well, you know, how can we, you know, be innovative a little bit like you, you know, what you you explained, how can we be innovative in the way we're, we're teaching and we're doing things, you know, but at the same time, how we're, we're going to try to keep respecting, you know, some of those traditions and some of those ways of doing things that are so important and balancing that with, you know, what, what uh, the, the governments and the ministries are asking us to do within our schools to keep the kids safe. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And like I said, for us, it was, you, we couldn't have guests in the school. We couldn't right. have the, those things in the school, but we were allowed to do it outside. We could do it if we, if we were spread outside. So being able to um, get out and do, you know, ice fishing. We we did a lot of we did ice fishing. We did um, even things like um, bannock making over a fire, which was yeah. something I didn't know was possible. But they, we did bannock on a stick over the fire and awesome. storytelling. That we did storytelling things like that, right? Where you where you could have your your community members come in and do those things, uh, and uh, 
and being outside was, was a way for us to be able to get it done because we did have, um, you know, we had the, the vaccine mandates. That's right. Um, and the mask mandates and, and all those things. And that was the only way people could get into the school. And, and um, yeah, so being able to, to move things outside and, and you know, being in a, in a small school, in a rural school, this is probably the best uh, equipped school I've ever seen. Okay. Like we have, we have full sets of like snowshoes for everybody. We have cross country for everybody. We have uh, ice augers, like we have all kinds awesome. of like, equipment, right? <laughs> to be able to do, to be able to um, accommodate um, activities like that. So I think that's great. I'd, I'd love to see more of that. And even in North Bay here, Ontario, you know, we're surrounded by lakes. You know, there's Lake right. Nipissing, which is a huge lake and fishing and ice fishing here is, is a big thing. So to be able to, to even think of doing, I, I remember back when I think, I think the first years I was the first years I was a principal, whenever it was the winter carnival, we would actually organize, you know, at the high school level and maybe even at the elementary level with the older kids were with parents, you know, they'd actually take them out ice fishing, but to have that equipment, we've got some snowshoes and cross country skis and stuff, but I think the important part, what you said, TJ, is, you know, how during these these times of the pandemic and all these mandates, how can we keep integrating, you know, our Indigenous communities, right? And like you said, you know, it's not everybody that, that wants to wear the mask. It's not everybody. And we can't have, we couldn't have uh, guests coming to our school. And that's something that's really important, right? Because um, a lot of these activities, and I'll give you an example, like, you know, if I have a classroom that wanted to make some dream catchers. It's really important that we have a uh, an elder from the indigenous community come in and guide us, right, to make sure that we're doing it right now. We understand the history behind the dream catcher. So those are are really important partnerships that we're working hard to develop with our indigenous communities and our leaders and our elders, right, and our experts in, in those fields to make sure that we're doing it right. So during the pandemic, you know, we just we, it wasn't allowed in the building. So I think it's great that you know, and it's very and it is innovative. For you guys to have thought, well, you know what, let's 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 bring the inside outside and and make it happen, you know, so that we can actually do these activities and and invite the the elders or the or or the members of our community to come in, and and join our students in learning about all these great activities and and the history behind it and the meaning behind them. Yeah, and you know, in Saskatchewan, there is a big push for um, land-based learning and and especially you know in my own I think school regions. Yeah. So it's always been it, it has been something that that we've um, as a whole province ha, has worked on and but being and and you know it is I, I had somebody ask me last year one of the, one of the students that I taught in uh, in univert when I, I taught in a master's course. And they asked me, well, how do you do, like, how do you meet your curriculum outcomes? How are you allowed to, or, they, you know, they were asking, like, yeah. you want to do all these things, but how do you still hit those outcomes? It's like, the the part of the, out, like, in Saskatchewan, I guess we do have um, um, what's called, like, a 10%, there's a 10% leeway of for, for locally determined options. Okay. So we have okay. that. But when you, the outcomes are very, in a lot of ways, are open. So there's, there are a lot of, uh, you know, First Nation, Métis, Inuit um, outcomes. That's right. Already, but then there's a lot of opportunities to include things um, in other ways. And it, it does, it, those, those activities fit into your, to your science, into your social studies. Absolutely. 
all of those all those outcomes right so it it those that those land-based activities definitely um they fit nicely in, into the curriculum there's it's not an add-on it was like it works like it it's works yeah. just what well, yeah well it's a great compliment, right? So to be able to bring the kids outside, because like you said, you can integrate that with, with any subject, right? You go outside, I can put in a literacy piece about that and I get the kids and, and even in writing, you know, I can get them to write a little, a, a little piece about, you know, the experience that they, how they felt, mm-hmm. what they thought of the experience, how can we make it better? What, you know, the strong points and the points to, mm-hmm. to, 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 that we need to improve, you know, we can get some math in there. If they're outside, we can get them to measure stuff, measure distance, um, mm-hmm. there's uh, science, my goodness, you're outside, right? So, yeah. you know, nature, uh, even chemical reactions, you know, you could look at that, you know, water, uh, the different states of water, and I can go on and on and on. So yeah. it's really just a, a matter of, and in Ontario curriculums, it's the same thing. You know, we always encourage, you know, our teachers to integrate as many subjects as you can, you know, and just, and just be creative with what you're planning, bring the kids outside, give, you know, plan something that they weren't expecting. You know, yeah. you know, and, and those are, you know, those are the lessons that actually end up hitting home a lot, you know, the most. And those are actually the experiences that 15 years later, that's what that mm-hmm. student's going to remember. He's going to remember that time that he went fishing. I, I remember that time when I went ice fishing and my teacher asked me to write this paper after. I don't remember the paper. I don't remember what <laughs> I wrote. But I remember going out ice fishing and we had a blast and we learned about, yeah. you know, all different things. And we had some elders fr- from our community that came with us. You know, that's the, the the kind of learning that we need, you know, to expose our kids and not always within the confines of, of you know, of the four walls of the building. Right. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, as a, you know, a, a first time leader in, in the community itself, being able to do something like that was you know it wasn't just about um the the you know the in-school learning or anything like that it was a lot, for me it was a lot about just building trust too yeah. right yeah it was like they wanted to the community um had an opportunity to see um and worked then giving me a chance to work together with the community to to put something together like that but then you know they they knew from, from those moments that, that I was committed and um, to doing what, you know, to, to the community and, and to the students and, and, um, and to the traditions and the culture of the community. Right. So. Absolutely. And trust is, if you don't got the trust, you don't got nothing. Right. So it's yeah. leadership. You won't have anything in your school. You know, you won't have that coherence. You won't have that teamwork, that, that collaboration, you know, that trust piece is, the, number one, because it, it comes back to um, Maslow, right? So Maslow, when it comes to just, you know, being able to, 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 to really provide for those basic needs, right? So, you know, and that comes down to relationships and it comes down to building that trust. And without that, we don't have, you don't have anything, you know, and John Maxwell, who's a, you know, a big leadership guru, I'm sure you know who that is. Uh, you know, he's famous. One of his famous quotes is, you know, people don't, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And yeah. that is, and it's so true. And it's, especially in a small community where it's very rich in, you know, indigenous traditions and ways of, of being and doing and saying, 
and to have a new new leadership come in, you know, it's it's big. It's big for for their culture. It's big for their for, for their children, for their community. So, you know, working on that trust uh, piece, you know, right off the bat, and really concentrating on on building their relationships is step number one, right? To 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 be able to show the people and the community that. You know, yeah. we're here to build, to keep, like I said before, we're here to keep building, you know, this mm-hmm. community and this school together, right? Because it's beautiful what's been built so far, but, you know, the sky's the limit uh, yeah. when when we're going to be together and what we can achieve. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that trust, especially like at the time when we were going through so many um, health restrictions and, and wow. mandate, if yeah. you don't have that trust, people, like if I have to hand down like a, if I got to deliver, um, you know, a decision from the school division or, or from, you know, about anything, it come it, it it's it's often as a blow if you have that trust, right? Yeah. And if they know that you're doing it, um, for for the good of the community and good good of the school, right? It, if you have the trust and they they know that you're doing it, um, and f- for that purpose, it it makes it. A whole lot easier to deliver that announcement and you got have a little bit more i think more buy-in from Absolutely. the community right so yeah because we're not always gonna we're not always gonna agree right in the team and in, in a staff and a community we're not always gonna agree on you know this is the way we should do it or this is the direction we should take but if we've worked on develop to develop that that uh, team cohesion and that trust then we know that if you know, the majority of the team or the community, if the majority of the people are saying, you know, this is the way we want to go, or this is the, you know, the direction we want to take, even if I don't agree with it, you know, I've developed that trust. So I'm like, okay, I don't agree with it, but I'm willing to go along. I, I trust my colleagues. I trust my community members. Uh, I'm going to go along with it and I'll support, you know, I'll support it the best that I can, even if I don't. And, and that's not easy to do, right? It's hard because it, it, you might be really, uh, you might be really strongly opposed to it, right? But, you know, when it comes back to that team, right? So if the majority of the team is saying, you know, we want, we want to go this way or we want to do this thing. Well, yeah, I think that speaks loud because, you know, the people on our teams aren't, are, are, are solid people as well. You know, like they're people, they, they, you know what they're talking about, they work hard. And if we've actually worked on developing, you know, those important uh, aspects of teamwork and, and team trust, then we have to put at some point, it's not always going to be, you know, I'm I'm in hundred percent. Most of the time it could be that, but it's going to happen where that one or two times you're going to say, Ooh, I don't know if I'm in or not. But if I see the majority of my colleagues and my community are really, you know, wanting to go in that direction. Well, sometimes I got to say, well, you know what? I'm I'm re- I'm willing to take the risk. I don't agree with it, but I'm going to take the risk. I'm still on the boat. I'm still going to uh, I'm still going to contribute, you know, I'm still going to collaborate and 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 I'm just going to, you know, I'm I'm just going to live this with with everybody else, right? And and do what I got to do as a team member. Yeah. So I think that framework is is awesome and I'm sure that your community and your school is really really benefit benefiting from that TJ. Now, when we met a few weeks ago, um we also talked about a little bit about collective teacher efficacy. And the, the reason why it had, that had come up is because I had just finished uh, reading a book on, you know, um, collective leader efficacy mm-hmm. and uh, from Peter DeWitt. So it's a great book. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we got to talk a little bit about that. And then I learned from you that you actually 
studied this a little bit, right? And, and I don't know if it was within your doctorate uh, degree, the work you did with your doctorate, but so I like to, you know, let, let's get into that a little bit and in terms of Hattie's work on that and, you know, what your take is on uh, collective teacher efficacy. So it, it did actually stem from something from, from my doctorate work. And, but what I was seeing was uh, because my advisor had actually steered me in that direction because my, my, work really was about um, collaborative inquiry, um, building um, whole school writing improvement on okay. uh, through a collaborative inquiry framework. And um, collective efficacy, of course, uh, Jenny Donahue, her, you know, she wrote the book on collaborative inquiry. And then following it, she branched out and, and she wrote um, on collective efficacy and uh, same with Peter DeWitt. And in my work, what I was finding and or what I what I thought, and as I read, what I really thought was, because uh, as I was reading, a lot of times there was things being said like, school leaders, system leaders, staff development teams need to focus on building collective efficacy, and it was yeah. all based. Much of it was based on this idea of of Hattie's effect factor. Yep. which was at the time it, it was really high it was i think it was one 1.57 i think is what it what it was and um i i didn't i didn't agree and i took a different stance on that and because i thought you know if we're taking and, and as you because as you look through mm-hmm. and, and you see okay well how is collective efficacy how the theory behind it how is collective efficacy built well it, it's built through taking action but the theory of action behind collective efficacy is your beliefs drive your actions. That's right. I took the opposite end as I know our, our actions build our beliefs. And that's kind of the area that I went through. And, and so I took, I took a deeper dive into it because a lot of times when, when, when you looked at those studies that were claiming collective efficacy had such a big impact especially especially the early ones like by roger goddard and uh uh uh, megan chen and morin though those studies were were really high on collective efficacy that before even uh before the meta-analysis came out um what they were finding was that schools that had high collective efficacy had high achievement but the way that they were finding them was or schools that had you know good behavior had high collective efficacy in those areas but what they were finding the way that they were taking those surveys was they would take a survey on collective efficacy and they would take a survey on achievement and they'd stick the two together and say, well, collective efficacy causes student achievement. Okay. And there's no way to really show that Mm. you can show a correlation between the two. Yeah. But there was no cause, like there was no cause and effect. And, um, that was my big argument was that they co-vary. If you, you, if you have, if you're doing the right things, if you're, you know, all those school processes that good leaders do, building a collective vision, setting goals, um, monitoring the school program, getting teachers to collaborate. Yes. All those things, you're going to get good achievement. And then you're also going to, as a result, you're going to have people who believe rather than build the beliefs to get those things done. Mm. So I, I kind of took a different side. And so the evidence itself behind collective efficacy was kind of wishy-washy in that sense, uh, because it never really showed 
that collective effort caused all these things just that the those things would vary together yeah and it makes and, sense right because because what we're going to do and how we're going to do it is actually is what's going to build you know the the, the kind of school that we're going to that we're going to become right and that yeah. in turn can can shape our beliefs right so yeah. I, you know i can i can see that point of view definitely where you know ac action speaks louder than words obviously yeah and uh and i can see how tied to if we put in the right you know the, the right the right processes we work hard at getting them you know working together building the important elements of our teamwork which is we we touched on you know um trust and you know taking risks and talking to each other talking about improvement comparing collaborating going into each other's classrooms to see, to see what the others mm -hmm. are doing if you got all that into place then it's it's going to be a lot easier to show you know, and not just a correlation, but it's going to be a lot easier to show that, you know what, this is how it was before we put these things into place. And now we put these mm -hmm. things into place and here's the result. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah. And like you said, with, um, with that, um, I had actually just finished. So with, with my, my work on collective teacher advocacy, I, I kind of did like a, um, I, I like to call it the uh, like a trilogy. So I wrote three articles and they each built off of each other. And the last one I did was um, I really thought that if you really wanted to show what the impact of collective efficacy is, that you would need to do some sort of case study and show, okay, this was our yeah. collective efficacy before. This was it after this. These are all the things that we did. Yeah. And you can show those things and you can compare the two. A lot of times that didn't happen in the studies. And so I'd finish um, supervising a graduate student from, from Arizona State University. And, um, but that's what she did. She took, she was, she asked me to be her supervisor because she had read some of that work. And yeah. um, that's really what she did. And what she, I think her study was probably a little bit too short. It was only five months long. So there wasn't a big she didn't find a great deal of increase in collective efficacy over that time. And there wasn't a great deal of achievement difference in that time either, but it, her study was very, very short. I think, you know, looking through those things, if you, if you really wanted to take that research and put it in into practice, that would be something um, that's the way to go. Right. Because we do a lot of times look at um, things like a meta analysis and say, okay, well, what, and try to do it without really, understanding the full thing and that's what i that's what really spurred the whole my whole idea behind collective efficacy yeah. was that seeing people say oh we need to do this we need to do this because of that impact factor that that effect factor that was said and and i don't think people understood the actual implications of it yeah i think often what happens is that when we when we actually you know come upon let's say findings like that, that says, well, you know, here's the effect size uh, of this way of doing things and that way of doing things is we're, we're kind of impatient, right? In education, we want, you know, we, it's almost like our, our society today, right? So we, we want it instant, right? We want it right away. So mm -hmm. often we'll, you know, we'll come across um, something like as important as collective teacher efficacy or collective leadership efficacy. And we're going to want put, we're going to want to put it into place right away. So sometimes mm -hmm. I think we're looking for that, that Pinterest type of yeah. way of putting it in, you know, I'll find it online. It's already all done up. And then I just need to like smack it there and, and we're going to put it into place. It's going to be easy, but it's actually yeah. not about that, you know, because 
the most important part of the work is the work. It's what happens yeah. between the time I put it into place yeah. and the time that we get, you know, that we achieve our objective. And, and that's where the real work is. And that's where the grinding is. And that's where the sweat is. And that's where the, the good times and the bad times and, 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 you know, the intense heated discussions, that's where it happens. And that's, and that is where you build your, you know, your collective teacher efficacy is by doing yeah. it and by experimenting yeah. with it, by modifying it so that it works for, you know, our, our particular school culture. And, and that's over time. It's like you said, you know, it's not, it's, it's usually not after four or five months, you know, you might see a little, you know, little glimpses of improvement, but we can't be fooled in thinking, oh, we've achieved it. Then we're going to stop now because it's really, it's a long-term investment, right? When we talk about that, we want to build it into, you know, into the culture of the school, because when we start considering elements like, you know, teacher turnover and you don't want to always be starting over all the time, you know, you're putting in these, these, these great, um, you know, these great strategies into your culture and you're building that, you know, that uh, collective efficacy, but you know, you gotta, we want to do it in a way where it's, it's built in so much and it's, and it's part of the walls. It's part of the bones of the school. It's part of how the kids are and how the teachers are that, you know, it doesn't matter if we get two or three new teachers that come in, um, you know, mm -hmm. they just jump right in and, and, and we, we coach them and mentor them and, but they get into that, uh, that routine or not that routine, but that cycle of what is, you know, teacher efficacy, collective teacher efficacy, so that we can build towards yeah. something that's better and build towards uh, students, student achievement. Yeah. And I, I think that's such a big, a big thing, right. Is having though, like you said, having that, that support, and um, especially now when we, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, you mentioned the teacher shortages. Well, we here yeah. we have we have teacher shortages just the same way. Right. Yeah. And uh, and people want to turn to things like um, building resilience. And, and I've seen that as as a as an idea. Well, we're going to build resilience, but we're going to do it as a. But when we think of resilience, sometimes I think we think of grit instead of like personal grit instead of what it actually what resilience is and i, I like uh dr Un michael unger's definition better and he talks about resilience as being a system-wide thing not it's okay. not a not something that's held in your personal thing it is about your support system around you and so when you have those new teachers and you have and you want to keep those teachers and even older teachers it is about and you want to keep that school together it is about resilience. And when you have, um, you know, a, a pandemic or crisis like we have, and you know, there's all kinds of things that, that could still come around the corner. We like, um, the resilience is built through that system. It's not, it's not going to be one person and, um, that's going to do that. But in a, at a school level, a lot of times it's going to be your, your school leaders or your older teachers that are your are your your strong pillars of your support right and for those younger teachers but at this at the division level or at the district level those school leaders also have to have that support coming to them and that's Absolutely. what that's where that resilience is going to come from or that you know and that's the efficacy there or you know that those things 
build from there, right? And- well, exactly. It extends outside the school walls, right? When we talk about building that either leadership efficacy or or uh, collective teacher efficacy, it's 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 a whole district or a whole system. It's system wide, right? It can't just exist within little pockets because it's just like when we talk about innovation. You know, when we talk about innovation, often we'll talk about we see little pockets of innovation, but it's not really systemic. So, you know, to be able to develop that within a system as well, your teacher is going to feel even more supported. And mm-hmm. you touched on something important because we did talk about, you know, uh, teacher short- shortages. So it's even more important today to be able to retain, right? We were talking about student retention, but I think we're, we've been talking a heck of a lot more about teacher retention. So we want to be able to build that ecosystem within our schools that, that you know, that they feel supported. They feel like uh, it, it's there's a team, not just in the school, but in the district as well. But they're also, they also feel like they're being pushed outside their, their comfort zone so that they can grow. So that's the type of environment, you know, a challenging environment that we want to provide our teachers. And I think that, and administrators, because there's, there's a, some shortages with administrators as well, you know, and with COVID uh, having come, people are, are just changing uh, workplaces and they're, and they're, they're totally, you know, le- leaving education to, to do something yeah. else or coming into education from something else. So it's really crazy the rate that it's going on. But these are the environments that we need to create uh, so that we can keep our people where they are and just to build you know, that solid team and, and district level efficacy um, because that's the support that we need. We don't need schools that develop it, but then in the background are always saying, well, the school board, this, or the board that, or the district, this, the district that, then yeah. you get a disconnection, right? So that's, yeah. that's like a, a piece of the, uh, that's like a, um, a piece of the chain that's not as solid, right? And if one piece of that chain ain't solid, then we know what happens to the chain, right? It makes, you know what it reminds me of, teacher? It reminds me of, have you seen the movie um, Guardian, Guardians of the Galaxy 2? Absolutely. Probably, yeah. right? I, th- I think it was number two anyways. Is this one scene where all the ships come in together and they form like this net and they keep yeah. like this big spaceship coming in. You know, that's that's what it is, right? It's that resilience you were talking about, that peace to be able to come together. Yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't matter what we're facing. Whatever it is we're facing, we've got that confidence because we've developed that that you know system wide resilience, that efficacy mm-hmm. piece, that trust, and that is what allows us to be able to come together, like in the movie, right, and yeah. stop that that species from coming in and destroying everything, right, which is symbolic of whatever challenge that 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 we're facing as a school community. Yeah, you know, and like in in my school division, like so, how. I would do that really is, you know, we have a, a great support, especially, you know, I had a, uh, one young teacher. Um, so along, along with the, the principal here that left, um, his, his wife also left and she'd been here for just as long as he did. And she was uh, a teacher I, or? He was a teacher. And okay. so okay. Um, them, then they actually just, they still live across the street from me. So they're still here. Oh, okay. And, but they're not in I, the school anymore. They're part of my support group too. Uh, but um, having a brand new teacher come in, you know, in, in that time, he didn't, he, he's from out of the, out of the community, uh, new teacher, wow. didn't have a lot of experience in the classroom. And so being able, like myself and other teachers to lean on, but also, my school division has a great, um, a stable of uh, consultants to work with, right? So that you yep. know, we have people that will help work with on unit plans who will work with. Oh, that's um, awesome. Like a mentorship. Yeah. yeah. 
and do all kinds of things. So the, the support there um, were things that, you know, that I wouldn't, I didn't have to be the expert on every single thing. I could reach out to somebody and say, Hey, can you help him with this? I'm like this and he's, or he's asking for help with this, or um, this is what I'm seeing. And then even my superintendent, my superintendent doesn't come in as a, you know, really heavy handed. She yeah. comes in a, as a support and that's how she approaches things. And that, you know, those, those things that um, are very, very important when you're trying to build a system and maintain that system. Right. So. I think that's the best way. I was just talking to somebody about that and I compared it to raising our kids, right? My, my wife and I, uh, we raised our kids in a way that we didn't want them to be afraid of us. Right. You know, like, you know, like how, how our, our moms, probably your mom too, but my mom anyways, it was a generation where it was wait till your dad gets home. Right. So j- just to say like, you know, when we talk about building that team and that efficacy and, and that trust, uh, and your superintendent is a great example, right? Is coming in, not being authoritative, right? I don't want, I'm not scared because of the position, right? But the way we raise our kids, we wanted to instill in them that that sense of, I'm afraid of disappointing mom and dad. And I think that's a lot more powerful than I'm afraid because of the consequence, right? Like, I, anyways, that's my take. I think it's it's a lot more powerful. So I, I think that when we do build that efficacy within our, our district and our team, I think we end up building that a little bit like people will really give it their all because they don't want to disappoint the team. Right. They don't want to disappoint. So you're, I really, you know, I can really appreciate, you know, the, the way your superintendent comes in and the way that, that she, that she, uh, that she comes in and expresses that leadership in that sense where I'm here to support, I'm going to build you, but my expectations are still high. Right. I'll be, I'll be here to support you to get there and, and your school, uh, so in turn, you know, we end up being like, oh my God, you know, we let's get this going because we don't want to disappoint. Right. So if I think that's a, a great way to go about it. And uh, I think you go a, lo- a heck of a longer way in that sense, then, you know, I'm going to do it because I'm scared of a consequence. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I've been in, in places where that, where fear was the driver. And so if a teacher wasn't, um, you know, if, if a teacher was struggling in the classroom um, and the superintendent was in, everybody knew. And it created a bad, Absolutely. it created a bad vibe in the school. And um, so having that, um, it, and everybody felt it and everybody knew uh, what that superintendent was doing there that day or what they were, you know, and there was a fear over that. And uh, now... And, and so like, it is a breath of fresh air to know that you have the, the support at the, at the school division level. And, and it does, it, it helps with, um, with everything, you know, just with the feeling, it, it builds that confidence in, in your day to day. It helps you, you know, Hey, I'm going to, um, I might not be where I need to be, but I'm going to improve. I have the support to improve. And, uh, I'm not like if if you're always feeling like your job is on the line or you're always feeling like you're being good, you don't want to stay that. You know, yeah. you stressful and hard. We want to keep teachers support is the way to go. Uh, you know, I think I when I was first started my master's journey, 
one of the things that was, I think it was Todd Whitaker thing. It was like, get the right people. I, I can't, I might be wrong on this one. I don't know if it was Todd Whitaker, uh, but it's like, you got to get the right people on the bus and the wrong people off. Yeah, yeah you, that is actually, that is Todd Whitaker. Get the right people on the bus and get them sitting yeah. in the right seat, right? Yeah, but I think, you know, when it comes to uh, the teachers in the classroom, you know, Dylan Williams said it, we're better off developing the ones that we have rather than getting rid of more because over the, over years, teachers will develop that, um, develop the, the competency and the expertise. Now, if you're 20 years in and you have a different story, but when you're an early career teacher, yeah. Yeah. Um, having people there to, to support those things, you don't need off the bus. You need them to help them get them on the bus, right? seat, Right. Exactly. And that comes back to, you know, you were saying how you had that the great support system with other teachers being able to, to come in and, you know, do some unit planning and things like that. So, you know, that that first year teacher that you're or, you know, the teacher has been five, six years that you're investing in them. Right. So they might end, actually end up being that person down the line that's going to and it is yeah. more motivating. Right. If if I know that I'm in a system and in a school that's going to support my growth, that's going to, you know, excuse me, not, not just point out what I'm doing wrong, but actually provide some supports and some pillars for me to be able to, to, um, to improve on that. Then that's huge versus I know I'm doing something wrong, but you know, I'm not getting any support. And then all of a sudden the day I see a superintendent come into the school, I'm going to be scared uh, out of my wits because I'm going to think they're coming from my job and it shouldn't be like that. And that is going to, have have a very negative impact on the school climate as well. But if we've been working, you know, with with that individual uh, and putting in the time and and like you said, sometimes it doesn't work out. You know, I'm not saying it's going to work out every time, but sometimes it doesn't, you know, and when it doesn't work well. You know, I think it's a lot easier in the process when we can say, you know, look at these are the efforts that we've put in. These are the pillars and the supports that we've put in and here's the result. So it's either an improvement or it's not. And that's a lot easier to be able to go through a process like that than saying we identified a problem, then didn't provide any support. We come back six months later, see it's still the same. And then we say, okay, well, you got to go. Right. Yeah. So that's, that doesn't work at all. And you end up, like I said, you end up investing in within your, your own district and your own school. And, and that comes back to the bit we're talking about that, that efficacy, you know, we're building self-efficacy, right? We're building Mm -hmm. a collective efficacy and we're going to get that expertise and developing that expertise within our own house, right? Within our own school, our own school board, because those are the ones that are going to be coming back in maybe in five, six years, yeah. once they've really honed and sharpened those skills and they'll be able mm-hmm. to in turn reinvest in someone else that's just starting off, or it could even be a seasoned teacher that's have that's struggling mm-hmm. with something. And now they're able to reinvest, you know, that time that was put in and the old efforts that were put in to develop them. So it's really a win-win situation. Yeah. So that's great. Listen, TJ, it's been a, a really great conversation. And um, if uh, if people would like to get a hold of you, you know, how, how can they go about to do that? So probably the best way to get a hold of me um, is uh, via Twitter. That um, my uh, my Twitter handles at Merrick's Dad, M A R E X D A D. Yeah, and then 
I actually have the same the same email address, but uh, Merrick'sDad at gmail.com. And those are those are ways that people can reach out to me. And I'd usually check and try to be fairly responsive to any that's awesome uh, questions. I do have a, if anyone's interested in reading any of the the work I've done, it's all on if you look me up on uh, ResearchGate, everything's there and it's all there's all PDF articles so you don't have to worry about paywalls or anything like that and they're all there and well that's great uh, and it's great that you're putting that out there for people to, to, to go and see tj so if anybody listening uh, to this episode would like to get a hold of tj you know if you're interested in you know what that leadership framework looks like for rural schools or if you're interested mm-hmm. in some of the work that tj did you know uh in his um uh, during his doctorate work in terms of collective teaching efficacy, reach out to him. We're going to put his Twitter handle, email address, and we'll put up the site as well, TJ. So you just need to go to a inspireleadership.ca in the podcast section. We're going to have a page just for TJ, and we're going to link uh, all those addresses up for you guys. So just click on that, and you'll be able to get a hold of TJ. And I'm sure it'll be a pleasure for him to uh, to be able to help you out. So listen, TJ, we're already at the end of our conversation, so I got one last question for you. For sure. And it's for the people that are listening to us today. If you had one wish for everyone listening today, what would that wish be? Oh, wow. Um, I wish for everybody to, you know, to, to live a, a healthy, happy, happy life. Um, I know that that's, you know, what we're seeing right now in terms of um, the health system and all those things, you know, yeah. um, stresses and everything like that. I, you know, I would wish health upon everyone. And I think, you know what, and in, and in times of difficulty like that and in times of stress, I think one of the first things to go and the, one of the first things that we forget about is ourselves, right? We'll put aside, you know, those good habits, those exercise habits, the good eating habits, the, the growth mm-hmm. mindset habits. So I think that's a fantastic wish for everybody and, you know, and a great reminder during these times that are still difficult. You know, we're not out of that pandemic yet. So we're still living a whole bunch of different stuff within our different communities. So it's great advice, TJ, a great wish. And uh, I thank you for that. And I hope that everybody listening, you know, will heed to that, you know, that advice and and take care of yourselves during this time, because in order to be able to give, our tank needs to be full. So that's something really important. So listen, TJ, um, you know, it was great meeting you. I'm so happy that, that you know, that we met uh, on uh, social media. Happy you reached out and that we connected. It's been a great conversation. I love talking about, you know, collective, anything collective efficacy. Could be teaching, could be, well, leadership especially because I'm in the leadership. But, you know, but I really appreciate it also, you know, the the leadership framework around rural schools because it's, it's a lot of my reality as well in the work that I do. So I really appreciated that. And uh, listen, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you have a great, you know, rest of your school year. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's it's been, uh, it was everything I hoped it would be. So (laughs) awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Hi there, it's Joel. I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and that you were able to find many useful takeaways. Adding value to others is one of the most important actions a leader can take. So please share this episode with your friends and colleagues and on social media. Let's reach out to as many people as we can. Want to connect with me? Well, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, or you can visit my website, inspireleadership.ca. If you'd rather send me an email, my address is joel, that's J-O-E-L, at inspireleadership.ca. Take care, everybody. 
And now, go get your leadership on. 